So if you're following along in the Gospel of John in this adventure that we're calling 50 Days with Jesus, you'll note that we passed the halfway point this week and we're reading along those stories and each week I'm teaching from what we read the previous week and we've been hitting on some of the really important themes that we see running through the Gospel of John. We've talked about faith and we've talked about eternal life last week and today we come to another one of those themes that really is important from the beginning to the end of John and it's the concept of truth. Now, truth is sort of a slippery concept in our culture, right? If you look in the wider culture and how people see truth, we, we might say that I have truth for me, and you might say that you have truth for you, but we're not so sure that I could really speak my truth into your life or that you could speak your truth into my life. Now, that's all the way it works Unless it gets inconvenient, because if someone accuses me of something that I haven't done, right, I'm going to say, I didn't do it, that's not true. That's right. I'm going to say that's not true. It's not true for, for anybody. It's not true for me. It's not true for you. It's not true for a court of law. It's not true for a police officer. I didn't do it. That's a fact. But at other times, we tend to treat truth in a little different way. Now, the thing is that if we look back in history, what we find is that there have always been competing truth claims, right? On anything that matters, whether we're talking about philosophy or science or religion or most anything that's important, people will make claims about those topics that are sort of mutually exclusive. In other words, they can't both operate in the same sphere. They, they contradict one another. So what's true? Our culture has sort of muddied that and said we're not so sure there's even truth at all. But that thinking itself goes back even to the New Testament. What we find is in John chapter 18, we're going to come back to John chapter 9 in a minute, but John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial before the person who represents the power and authority of the Roman Empire. His name is Pilate. He's the governor appointed by Caesar himself and representing Caesar's authority to the people in Palestine, which included Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, where Jesus lived. Jesus is on trial for his life, and he and Pilate are having this interchange on the claims that he's made about himself, truth claims. And so Pilate says this in chapter 18, verse 37. You're a king then. And what he's saying is, so you claim to be a king. Because anybody who claims to be a king, other than Caesar in the Roman Empire, is in a lot of trouble. Jesus answered, you say I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus said, I'm bringing truth in a way that no one else has. And then what does Pilate say? What is truth? What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And that goes on and on, but you'll remember what Pilate does in the end is he sentences Jesus to death. So this concept of what is truth, how does it matter, how do we find it, how do we identify it, investigate it, that's been around for a very long time, but it's come to full fruition in our culture where we're just not sure that truth even exists. So, what does the Bible have to say about that? We find this story in John chapter 9. John chapter 9 follows some claims 
that Jesus has made about himself in John chapter 8. He's using the language of I am, which was the Old Testament name for God. And so people are saying, so you're really claiming to be God. And a lot of people don't like that, not surprisingly enough. Now, what we find at the the beginning of chapter 9 is we're on the very last day of the Feast of Booths. Now, be sure that you know I'm saying booths, not booze. It is not a feast of booze, okay? So the people are celebrating the time that their ancestors lived in booths or tents. So it's after slavery in Egypt, before they have a promised land, they are living in tents and they're commemorating that time of wandering in the wilderness, okay? Last day of that festival, it's a Sabbath day and Jesus is walking along with his disciples. And as they walk along, they encounter a man, a man they've probably seen many, many times, who's sitting there begging, mostly, and Scripture tells us that he is blind. In fact, he's blind from birth. Now, the disciples ask Jesus a question that in some ways baffles us because it betrays some truth claims that we wouldn't make, some things that we find odd, because they ask Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? his parents, or him. And we say, wait a second. Just because a baby is born with some some physical problems, some sickness, some disease, whatever it is, we don't assume that anybody's done anything wrong, but they did. And in fact, they would assume that maybe the parents had had sex outside of marriage, and the result of that was a curse on this child he can't see. Or maybe the mother, while she was pregnant, wandered into a pagan temple, and God chose to curse that baby because of her actions. Or maybe, and this one we totally don't get, maybe the baby, while still in the womb, somehow sinned. Explain that one to me. And yet, that's exactly what they thought. And so they asked Jesus, hey, who's to blame here? Because somebody's got to be to blame. Somebody's done something wrong, and so God has caused this to happen. Well, Jesus is not ready to buy into that thinking. This is how he responds in John chapter 9, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So it's not all about sin. What this is about is God's going to show you something that you have never seen before. This is going to be a powerful experience. He goes on. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And then this, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that I talked about the fact that in John, there are seven times Jesus introduces a statement with the phrase, I am. So he says, I am the, and last week it was the bread of life. And we talked about eternal life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, it's not overly surprising that in a story in which Jesus is dealing with a man who has never seen anything, that Jesus would claim to be, I am the light of the world. Obviously not physical light, but that Jesus is illuminating what it means to be a human, what life is all about, what is happening in this world in a way that no one else could. I am the light of the world. And then at that, Jesus kneels down and he he spits on the ground and he sort of works that up into some mud and he begins to wipe that mud 
on this man's eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but there is nothing about that that I like, okay? I mean, if I am blind or can see, I don't want anybody spit on my eyes and I don't want dirt on my eyes and I certainly don't want them combined, but that's just what Jesus did, okay? And then he told the man, you're going to have to do something. I mean, it was really Jesus saying, if you believe the claims that I'm making about myself and what you're hearing about me, then you're going to have to act on that faith. And here's the way you do it. You go to the pool of Siloam and you wash. Now what's interesting is, the place that the priests went to get the, the holy sacred water for the celebration of the Feast of Booths was the pool of Siloam. So Jesus is tying together what's happening in the culture and in the religion with what's going on with this man. So he has to act. He has to accept something true about Jesus and do something about it. And he went, Scripture says, and he washed. And John says he came back seeing. It sort of feels like that ought to be the end of the story, right? Like, everybody lived happily ever after. This man couldn't see. Suddenly he can. And the rest of his life is totally different. And his family should rejoice. And everybody have a party and praise God. And it's all over. But that is not the way this story rolls. In fact, it gets a little bit strange. Because when the guy gets back, I mean, this is a guy who, who's probably been sitting in the same place, begging, because if you're blind in the ancient world, that's the only way to survive. People have been passing by him day after day day, year after year, and they've been seeing him, and they've been throwing a few loose coins at him, and he comes back having been healed, and it's like half the people say, man, this is incredible, and half the people say, is that the same guy? Because I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure that's the guy that I've passed every day for the past 10, 15 years, and, and maybe thrown a few coins at. Maybe it's somebody different. So people begin to ask, what's happened? How can you see? Are you the same guy that we've known all this time and suddenly you can see? And he says, yeah. And they say, well, how did it happen? Verse 11, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash in Siloam. And so I went and washed and then I could see. Just like John told the story just like he's going to keep telling the story throughout this passage. And they say, well, where is Jesus? And he seems not to know. Now, here's the problem. What they knew to be true was this. Anybody who is born blind, okay, in their world, anybody born blind, they're never going to see anything because there's no ophthalmologist, there's no way to heal this, there is nothing anyone can do, so this man is going to spend the rest of his life, his whole life, begging for money and just trying to survive. It's going to be a hard life. And that's what they knew to be true. Now, they are suddenly forced to deal with the fact that this man who couldn't see can now see. What do you do with that? Well, they call in the religious professionals, the preachers, because surely a bunch of preachers is going to solve the problem, right? Didn't exactly work that way. They call them in, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They lay it out. The Pharisees begin to question the man. They want to know exactly what happened. And he answers that. He tells the same story that he's told before. And as he tells the story... 
The Pharisees began to look at one another because there's a problem. Oh, what's the problem? The problem is, remember I said it was the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, there were a lot of rules because God had set aside the Sabbath day. It's a day you don't work. It's a day you give to God. It's a day of rest. And Jesus had violated one of their rules. And the rule was you can't need anything. And by that, I mean you can't like need bread dough. Okay, you can't need bread dough. That's work. Can't do it. You can't need clay and work it up because that's work. Can't bake. You got to bake everything you need on Friday for Saturday, because you can't cook again till Sunday. You can't build anything on Saturday, so there's no making bricks, no clay. And Jesus had kneaded that mud. So there's the problem. And now they're suddenly dealing with all kinds of truth claims that they don't know how to handle. First of all, this man was blind for his life, can now see... The only way for that to happen is if God intervenes, but this guy whom he claims to have done this is a sinner because he made mud on the Sabbath day. And we go, come on now, right? That don't seem right. And yet that's exactly what they thought. And all this is in conflict. So they keep questioning the man. They want to know exactly what happened. They, they call in his parents. They ask the man, what, what do you think about this guy? Who, who do you think he is? He says, I think he's a prophet. Hold on to that. The parents, well, they want to know, is this your son? Is this the, the man that's born blind? Has he ever seen? This is how they respond in verse 20. We know he's our son. And we know that he was born blind. Yeah, we, that's been our whole life is dealing with this. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. Why would they say that? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, ask him. He's of age. And we say, man, couldn't they just go down to another synagogue down the street? But it didn't work that way. If you were thrown out of the synagogue, you couldn't do business with the people in the synagogue. You had to dissociate yourself from your family who would also be in that synagogue. You were giving up your whole social life, and they're not ready to do that. And so their answer is, yeah, it's our son. Yeah, he couldn't see. The rest, we don't know. We don't know about that. That's all we know. He's our son. So they bring the man back in. And they want to know the answer. They think if they challenge him again, verse 24, a second time they summon the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. Come on, tell the truth. We know this man, Jesus. We know. We know all kinds of things. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And then verse 25, which is probably the, the key verse in this whole chapter, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I want to talk about what they know, what they don't know, what the truth is, what the truth is not. He doesn't know anything about that. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. The truth, undeniably, according to his parents and himself and really everyone around, is that he was a blind man from birth, and now he can see. 
And the reason that happened was Jesus. Now, the competing truth claims are still present. And in fact, the Pharisees are not ready to give this up. They keep challenging the man, asking how it was done, wanting to know what's happening here. And they're dealing with the fact that, well, he's a sinner, right? Because he made mud on the Sabbath day. What else can we say about this? The man gets tired of it and says, well, maybe you want to be his disciples. That's why you keep asking me these questions. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you're this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know, more stuff they know, we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. What matters to us is Moses. Moses gave us the law. Moses gave us the truth. What we have and what we know comes from Moses. This guy that you're talking about, this Jesus... Clearly, he's a sinner because he made mud on the Sabbath, violated what Moses told us to do. But we know he's a sinner, and because you're following him, you must have problems too. The man answered, Now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. And that's what they've called Jesus. He called him a prophet. The Pharisees call him a sinner. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. It's just never happened before. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees in some ways are silenced in this moment. The man says, listen, here's the truth again. I couldn't see, never have been able to, I don't know what you think about him, and frankly, I don't care. But what I know is the truth is that I can see. And you may call him a sinner, but God has done something powerful through him, and that is, and you just can't contradict that. And the Pharisees are sort of stuck, because it's true the man can see, and it's true they think there's a problem there, so they resort to you know, what we said on the playground in the 70s when there was nothing else left to say, they basically say, yo mama, because he says in verse 34, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. In other words, the reason you're like this is because your parents did something they shouldn't have been doing. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They refused to deal with the truth claims that are being made. They just dismiss it. Now, what's interesting is, Jesus made the mud, the man came back, he can see, and then Jesus sort of disappears from the story. And we have really what becomes a trial of the man born blind who's really done nothing wrong other than just show up that day. His parents, back to him, all that stuff. And then Jesus reappears. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, most good Jews in the ancient world believed in the Son of Man. It was sort of an apocalyptic figure from the book of Daniel, a person that was supposed to come and save the people from oppression. And the man says, well, yeah, I, I believe God's going to do that. It's in the book. Daniel said the Son of Man's going to come and save us. But I'd love to believe in him, but who is he? 
And Jesus says, the one talking to you, I'm the son of man. So we have this, this man born blind who's called Jesus a prophet. The Pharisees who have contradicted that and said Jesus is a, a sinner. And we have now Jesus claiming to be the son of man, the one that God would send. And then we skip down to verse 38. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Prophet, son of man, Lord. These are the truth claims being made by this man who has experienced this incredible moment in his life that changes everything. And then the final interchange that finishes up the chapter. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? And they know what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now, it's interesting the way John tells the story. At the beginning of the story, everybody's thinking that the man is the sinner. He's the one with the problem. But what we find is, he hears the truth. The truth changes him. And by the end, the people who everyone thought were the, the righteous people, the good people, they are now the ones who are blind and are sinners. So here we are with this story of all kinds of competing claims of truth and what we know and what you know. And, and what we learn from the story is this. That Jesus is God's way of revealing truth. There is no clearer way of seeing the truth in Scripture than looking at the person of Jesus. He speaks the truth and he is the truth. I'm the light of the world. That's what Jesus is saying when he says that. I'm going to give you the truth that you don't get anywhere else. And so we and every human being has to grapple with the fact is, is this true? What am I going to do with these truth claims that Jesus has made? Is there something about Jesus? Is there something about what he says and what he does that makes me think, this is God showing me who he is? Yes, we find truths throughout Scripture, and I'm not discounting any of that, but there is no greater way to see the truth of God than to look to the story of Jesus. That's where we get it. And so we have to grapple with that. Am I going to accept these truth claims? I'm saying that truth actually does exist, which is big in our culture, but I'm getting truth in the story of this man. John is leading us to see that Jesus is, yes, a prophet, but more than that. The Son of Man, the Savior, He's Lord. By chapter 20, he's Messiah, the Son of God. He's the light of the world. The truth that we need to see who God is. And so we deal with this question of, what is truth, Pilate says. Jesus says, it's me. Let's pray together.
God, we want to know the truth. We want to believe the truth about who you are. And God, we pray that you'll show us. We don't want to be afraid of any truth because we know if it's true, you already know it. You're not afraid of it. Help us to believe it. God, we pray it all in the name of Jesus, who is the light of the world. Amen.